Joshua chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at the whole chapter together as we talk about something that is extremely important when, whether we know it or not, and that is this thing called traction. So what I mean by that is traction is when your movement actually takes on momentum and you move forward. You might not know, but traction is extremely important. Traction makes your car move forward. Your tires can spin, but unless they actually grab the ground and there's traction, you won't go anywhere. You'll just be spinning your wheels. And when we follow Jesus, many times we find our, our lives in this place where there's lots of movement, but there's no momentum moving forward. There's no traction. And so in those moments, there's frustration, there's pain, there's confusion, because we want something to break free. We want to move forward, but we seem to be, and probably the best way to describe it is we're stuck. And some of us feel like we've been stuck in certain areas of our life for years, and we've never again been able to get beyond it. And it's not for lack of effort or desire. We've really tried hard to try to break free, to try to move forward. But all we seem to find is that we're just working hard for absolutely nothing. It's almost like anybody ever run on a treadmill before? Running on a treadmill is really good and really bad. You do a lot of work and you never go anywhere. Right? When we were in Oregon and I was training for, to run a half marathon, I was given a gift of a treadmill. And I had a love-hate relationship with that treadmill. Because there's hardcore runners in, in, in Oregon, and they will go out in 25 degrees in snow. That's not me. My limit usually was like before, below 40 degrees, and it was like 35 degrees in rain. That's like the most miserable. I, I'm like, I can't do it. I can't, they're like, oh, if you run for five miles, you can eventually feel your fingers and your toes. I'm like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> so I would opt for the treadmill. But in, in training, you have to get a certain amount of miles in. And regardless of the weather, and so there were times where I would go out in my garage, and I would spend two hours running on the treadmill. You know how insane it is to run on a treadmill for two hours? I would try to distract myself. I'd put music on. I'd turn my iPad on and try to watch some sports to kind of inspire me. I'd do anything to make me think that I was moving forward. And after two hours, I would hit the stop button. I would try to simulate. I would do elevation. I would do speed and do all these things. And then at the end of it, I'd hit stop, and I'd step off the treadmill. And I'd look around, and guess where I was? I was still in my garage. <laughs> my heart rate was through the roof. I was sweating, but I didn't get anywhere. I always loved to run outside because I felt like at least I got somewhere. Whether it was fast or slow, at least I made progress. But how many times in our life, do you, honestly, there's seasons you just go through and you're like, I can't work any harder to get out of this place, to move beyond where I'm at, to get free. And all I know is I've just worked really hard and there's nothing to show for it because I'm still right where I began. So this is Israel's journey. And this is where we pick up the story. So if you were here last week, we talked about, in Numbers, we talked about the story of when they first came out of Egypt. God led them across the Red Sea. He leads them to the doorstep of the promised land. They send 12 people in as spies to look at the land. And if you remember last week, they come back. Ten of them said, we ain't doing this. This is too hard. There's giants. There's fortified cities. And then two said, we're doing this because God's in it. And what did Israel default to? The bad report. And what did that bad report do to them? It cost them 40 years and an entire generation they were at the doorstep. God was going to open the door to them, the land that he already gave them. And what did they do? They had to wander for 40 years. Can you imagine 40 years of wandering with no progress? You're just going around and around and around and around. Then after 40 years, God brings them back again to the same doorstep they were at 40 years earlier. And this is where we pick up the story. 
Moses has died. Joshua is now in charge. And now listen how God engages Joshua, because what he's talking about is how Israel now is going to actually have traction to move beyond where they were before into what God has promised them. So what we're going to talk about is what traction requires. There's some things we can learn from Israel's journey that we can apply to our lives today. So the first thing is this. We're just going to go through the passage together. Traction requires, the first thing is faith. So look at verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people into the land that I am giving to you, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God begins to speak to Joshua, and he tells him something pretty important. This is the land that, remember, I already promised to give to Moses. And I am with you just as I was with Moses. So believe, have faith, that every place that the sole of your foot touches belongs to you. That's kind of crazy faith, isn't it? You mean literally every, every place that they walked? Yeah, every place that they placed their foot, God was giving to them. And he's telling Joshua, you have to believe this. Now, why is that significant? Remember, Joshua was there 40 years earlier. All of Israel, except for the generation, if actually it was all the parents who passed away, but there are young people who heard the story, and now they're coming back to the same doorstep they were at 40 years earlier. They remembered how it turned out the last time. And there has to be some cynicism to say, really, is this going to happen? We've been here before. This looks familiar. I don't think anything's going to be different. Kind of like when you show up to the same thing over and over and over again in your life, hoping for a different result, and you end up having the same result. We call that what? Insanity. And life feels that way. Okay, I'm back here again doing the same thing, hoping for a different outcome. That's had to feel what Israel's feeling, but God said, will you believe I've already given the land, just as I promised Moses, everywhere that you walk belongs to you. I, we don't have it in the passage, but I can guarantee there's some cynicism. They're like, really, we've done this before. We've tried this before. It's like Joshua, Moses was a better leader than you, and it didn't work for him. I don't think it's going to work for you. We get to that point. We have that kind of lack of belief. A friend of mine, was tell, he told me about uh, when his son was younger, uh, they went out and p planted a big garden. And we're not talking like just a little garden. We're talking about like, you know, just short of a farm, really. I mean, they were planting all kinds of some vegetables and all kinds of different crops and stuff. And so... He had his son come out with him, and, and they were planting, and so he had prepped the soil and got it ready, and so he wanted his son to come and experience the whole process of watching something grow. So he gave him some seed, and I can't remember if it was corn or squash or pump, I don't know, something, some kind of seed. And so he had, he had explained to his son, if you put this seed in the ground, and you water it, and you fertilize it, and you're patient, then this is what will grow up. And, and so he's showing him, and kind of like, you're going to be a part of this. And his son looked at him and said, Dad, this is not going to work. Because he's looking at, like, pumpkins or corn or whatever it is he's looking at it and he's seeing the seed in his hand and he looks and he goes this is not going to become that and this little kid's telling his dad he's crazy he said you don't even dad this is not going to work in fact his son got so frustrated he took all the seed in his hand and just chucked it and walked away now if it was me i would have, oh man i would have picked them all up and make sure they're all in a nice neat line you know anybody ocd right but my friend she goes i just left it wherever the seed he threw, wherever it landed i just left it and I went out and I watered and I fertilized and I waited and I waited and all of a sudden it started coming out of the ground. He goes, I pulled my son out and I said, son, come and look. It wasn't nice little rows, it was bunches 
of whatever they planted. He goes, remember the seed that you just threw and said, this is never going to work, Dad? He's, oh, yeah. He goes, oh, there it is. And his son was just shocked because he wasn't even trying. And he just went, and everything grew. Kind of like when God says, where the soles of your feet touch belongs to you. To have the faith to believe that if you're going to see traction in your life, you're going to see the movement in your life actually take on momentum and move forward means that this time, this is what you and I have to believe. It's not being somehow blind in our faith, but you have to believe that God is power enough to say to you and I, it's different this time. It's not like last time. It's not like when you were here before. Even if you've been here a thousand times, this time you're going to have traction if you choose to believe as you move forward. Second thing, look at verse 6 and then the part, first part of verse 7. Second thing that traction requires is courage. Because then it goes on and God says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Why in the world would God say that? Remember Joshua, this is after Moses. Moses is like, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Moses. I mean, he's up there. And Joshua comes in, and he, Joshua has to be thinking, Moses couldn't even get the people to do this. There's no way. And I, and I was in the land with Caleb 40 years ago, and I know how big the people are, and I know how fortified the cities are. And God says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because there were times that he knew Joshua was going to be afraid. Guaranteed. And for some of us, the reason that we haven't moved forward, the reason we don't have traction, is because you and I live with something hanging over our head that causes us great fear. There's something you and I will not face in life. I don't know what it is for you, but you won't face it. And because of that, you keep coming to the same doorstep over and over again, and you're about to pull the trigger, but you pull back. Why? Because you're afraid. You're afraid of what will happen, or you're afraid of what won't happen. And because of that, you do nothing, and you pull back, and you, you never advance. You just get stuck. And you never find the place that God wants you to be. I had a friend of mine who's a pastor. We got together in, in a group of pastors, and we were kind of just all sharing our journey. And he, he shared something that changed his life. And when I was talking to him, he was probably in about, about his early 40s at the time, but he was telling the story of what happened a few years earlier. And he, he had, from, from kind of on the outside looking at his life, he would look at him and say, well, he's successful. I mean, he's got a wife and some kids, and, and it seems to have a good family, and pastors are a pretty healthy church. And even at the time, and I didn't know all this was going on, he said, you know, there was something in my life that, that I could never get beyond, that I felt like I was stuck, and I always came back to that. And he said it was this cloud that just dominated all of my thinking about what I did every day. And he began to tell us about how he was raised. He was raised in a household where his dad was extremely abusive, both verbally and physically with him. And he could never do anything right. He could never live up to his dad's expectations. And because of that, there was always this tension in their household until he finally got out and felt like, once I get out on my own, I'm going to be my own person and I will be able to be different. But he realized everything that he did, he was always trying to earn the approval of his dad. But he hated his dad because of the pain that he had caused him. And so he realized that even though he had separated himself physically from his dad and hadn't talked to him for years, his dad still controlled him every day of his life. And the Lord pressed in on him one time and said, listen, you need to go and extend forgiveness to your dad. Can you imagine? You're like, really? I finally feel like I've gotten free even though he knew he wasn't. And he knew that that was something God was doing in him that was key to him, but it scared him to death. Can you imagine walking back into the place of pain, the place of fear, the place of ridicule, and subjecting yourself to that. Why? Because God told you to do it. So he connected with his dad, and he said, Dad, I need to come and spend some time with you. And his dad was open, and 
he went and sat down for a long time and had a lot, and basically he just said, he went through, this took guts. He said, Dad, I gotta tell you what you did to me growing up. When you did this, when you said that, in this situation, this is what it did to me. And he just, in a gracious way, he just unloaded on his dad. And he said, Dad, the reason I need to say all of this is because I have to, because God told me, I have to forgive you. And the only way I can do that is to release this and let you know that I have chosen to forgive you regardless of how you respond to me. Now, it wasn't a perfect response from his dad, but it was a good response from his dad. And he didn't have the most ideal relationship moving forward, but he had peace with his dad. And he said, looking back, he said, that was the key to everything for me. He said, because now no longer every day do I live under the shadow of my dad's expectations. He said, I've extended in forgiveness. I don't have bitterness in my heart. I don't have that hanging over my head. I actually move forward. He goes, it scared me to death, but he goes, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Some of you may be living under the shadow of brokenness in your past, and you're, fa you're afraid to face it, and that's the very thing that keeps you stuck. You're at the doorstep again, and you're saying to God, this scares me to death, and God says, I know it does. That's the very thing you're going to have to lean into right now. You're going to have to face because it's the thing that will unlock you being stuck where you're at and actually moving you forward in your life. It's funny. I had a conversation between services with a, with a gentleman saying he had the same history. feels the same way. He feels like I'm stuck. And that's why, because I feel like something from my past keeps a cloud over my life. And we prayed for him. Third thing, traction requires, and here it doesn't get any easier, obedience so listen to verse, the last part of verse 7. So first part of verse 7 says, only be strong and very courageous, but then it goes on. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Obedience to the commands that Moses had given. That's hard. Don't, don't you, you know, one of the things that I always struggle, you know, Nike's motto, just do it. That's nice for marketing, but if we could all just do it, we'd all have a gold medal around our neck, right? In a sense, there's, there's an underlying lie there. You can't just do it because everything within you is working against that. And it's, it's the working against what, what, by nature, you know what we are? We are disobedient before we're obedient because sometimes, a lot of times, obedience is hard. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do what I want to do. And sometimes the key to moving forward is just saying, you know what, I'm finally going to do what God told me to do. And that is so important because you and I don't realize the foundation that you and build for your life for the future. And this is where so many people says, I build my life on the rock, which is Jesus. Yeah, there's imagery in the Bible to talk about God being the rock. But the rock that Jesus refers to of himself in Luke chapter 6 is not himself. It's actually obedience to him. It's not just, oh, I build my life on Jesus. What does that mean? That means you build your life on doing what Jesus told you to do. Listen to uh, the message, which is a paraphrase. It's not a translation, a paraphrase of the scriptures. The reason I say that, some people say, oh, the message, that's heresy. It's a paraphrase. Don't look at it as a translation. It is not a word-for-word -word translation. It is Eugene Peterson taking from English a paraphrase of what he read there. So I just want to make sure I'm not a heretic, okay? Neither is Eugene Peterson, but take the message as it is. It is a paraphrase of the scriptures. But in this, I think Eugene captures the heart of what Jesus is saying. Luke chapter 6 verses 46 to 49. This is what it says. Why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. 
If you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. I want you to capture what's going on here in this passage for Israel. They're back at the same doorstep again. But what God is doing for them through Joshua is he's saying to them, you did it wrong the first time. The 10 spies, you believed the lies, you believed the bad report, and you turned away from my purpose, but now you're back at the same spot again, and now you get another shot at this. You were disobedient first, now you get a shot at doing what? Obeying. That's the way God works. He brings us around again and says, okay, you blew it the first time, but we're going to try this again, and again, and again, and again, and finally, eventually, you're going to get this thing. You're going to do what I ask you to do. Why? Because God doesn't give up even though we're disobedient. Having another shot at life, having another shot to do it right, having a second go around, having a second chance, isn't that the way that God works in our life? Many of you know that, that Kim and I and our family, we foster babies primarily. That's been our focus over the last three, three and a half years. And that's kind of the niche that we found our way into. And so because of that, we kind of specialize. Uh, although it's a wonderful thing. In fact, I love John and Denise Looney. They've already adopted two and they're on their way to adopt a third through fostering. But, but Kim and I feel like God's given us a specific call, and that is not to adopt children, but actually to help reunify families. And this is what we found in the system, is that so many times, family or mom or dad, they blow it. Something goes off the rails in their life, and they lose custody of their children. And Kim and I have found that if we can get babies, when usually it's a first-time offense for mom and dad, they get into the system, and we can get that baby, and we can make a commitment to get that baby healthy, at every level, physically, emotionally, everything that we can do. And at the same time, we're committed to mom or mom and dad to bring health for them too. Because we've realized if mom and dad don't get help, you know what they're going to do? They're going to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And they're going to have not just one child, but they're going to have three, four, five, six, seven kids in the system. Why? Because they never got a do-over. They never had the opportunity to say, you can do this different this time. And in fact, every time that we go through this, when we meet the birth parents, the first default is your competition. You're trying to steal my baby. And when they realize, no, 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 no. We're your biggest advocate. We're on your corner. We want you to succeed. And everyone says, well, isn't that brutal when you have to let go of a baby? You better believe it's brutal to let go of a child that basically you get out of the hospital and you treat them like yours. And then nine months later, you give them to somebody else that you feel like is a stranger. Yeah, that's hard, but it's not about us. But we've watched, not all of them, but the majority of those, those moms or those families get traction in their life, get free from addictions, learn how to be a good parent, be who God wants them to be. That is so fulfilling. Why? Because they need a second chance. They need an opportunity to do it right when the first time they did it wrong. If you and I want to experience traction, God brings us back again and again and again. And he says, this time, do what I say. That's why God said to Joshua, the words, the commands that I gave to Moses, those are really important. Do them, and then you'll be successful. And then there's a fourth reality of, of traction, that's it, and that is it requires meditation. So look at verse 8, and then even in verse 9, but primarily verse 8, it says this. God has continued to talk to Joshua. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, 
for then you will know and you will be prosperable and then you will have good success. And he goes on and he says, I've not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what is, what is God saying to Joshua? These commands that you're supposed to obey, the way that you're going to obey them is not the way you think you're going to obey them. He doesn't say read them. He doesn't say study them. He says meditate. That word meditate literally translated means mutter. It means like you're muttering on your lips the words of God to remind yourself constantly. Why? Because we forget. And that means, and, and hear me, I'm not against reading plans at all. Reading plans are very helpful to get us into the scriptures, but sometimes, if you're like me, reading plans bring guilt and shame and failure. So I'll tell you, maybe you've experienced this. You're like, coming up to January, it's the new year, resolution, I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year. You know what I'm talking about? You get a reading plan, you jump in, you're excited about Genesis, all these crazy stories and God's creation and all this stuff's happening. You get through that and you get into Exodus and it's kind of more stories and you're getting kind of, it's like waning and then you hit Leviticus. Forget about it. Everybody dies in Leviticus, right? Everybody has your marker and somehow it's stuck in Leviticus. Why? Because then it's all the rules and the regulations and I don't understand this. I don't own cattle. I don't know what to do with them. Well, you know, right? And so what do you feel? You feel a sense of guilt and shame and failure. And what do you do? You quit. So you know what I've done in my life? I've realized that there's seasons where I'll read through lots of scripture. It may be three or four chapters a day, but then I'll go through seasons where I'm just going to meditate. So about four months ago, you know, our, our Discipleship Essentials classes are based on the teachings of Jesus and Matthew. And the first one, DE1, is the life of a disciple, and it starts in Matthew 5, and the first probably... 13, 14 verses of Matthew chapter 5 is what we call the Beatitudes. And it's where Jesus says, blessed are you, and then he fills in then because if, you're, if you, this is true of you, you get this. There's only eight of them. I have taught those and read those. I can't count how many times in my life. And God drew me back and said, you need to re-engage these personally. This is not about teaching anybody anything, but it's even about me speaking to you. So for two months, I've been hanging out in eight Beatitudes. And I'll read through the same one every day, and I'll sit there. And sometimes it's like, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not getting anything, and I'll move on. But then there'll be a moment in a day where I'll read it, and then the light will come on. Because I've been thinking about it and meditating, and then I'll start writing in my journal. That's what you mean, Jesus. That's why that's so important. And that happened. Why? Because in the last two months, you know how much scripture I have read personally, devotionally? 14 verses. That's it. Pastor John, you should be reading the whole Bible every month, right? No, 14 <laughs> verses. And those 14 verses are wrecking me because I'm having to come to grips with what Jesus was saying. Why? Because I took time to meditate. Again, reading plans are not bad, but sometimes you and I just need to pause because it's not like, it, volume isn't, isn't always the best. You know, going to the buffet is not the best. You get lots of food and it doesn't taste very good. Sometimes you just need to have something really tasty that's a small portion that you just need to savor and let God speak through it. So meditate. So God told them to meditate. Why? Because it's the key to your obedience is really letting the scriptures get into your soul. And then two more things. The fifth thing that traction requires is preparation. So verses 10 and 11, God says, he's speaking now through Joshua to the people. It says, Joshua, uh, the, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go and to take possession of the that land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Why is that so significant? Because God is preparing them to do something and be a part of something that will be life-changing for them. 
This is a pivotal moment in Israel's history. So God says, I'm giving you a three-day warning because when I say go, you got to be ready. You got to have your house in order. You have to have your provisions ready because when I say go, when the light goes green, you can't hesitate. You got to go. And we know that eventually God would lead them through the Jordan to the other side so that they could take possession of the land God was giving them. And that's significant because if so many of us get stuck where we're at, because it's not that God doesn't speak, it's that we can't respond. When God presses in on an area of obedience or a life or a calling or something that you are feeling something about, I know I need to be a part of that. And you're like, but you look at your schedule and you look at your finances and you look at your life and you say, I can't do it. Why? Because you're not prepared for God to speak. You have reasons why. Like, do you remember the parable Jesus told of the banquet? The invitations went out and everybody came up with an excuse. I just bought a piece of land. I got to go check it out. I just bought some oxen. I got to go check them out. And then we always think, wow, this one guy comes up with a great excuse. I just got married. I got to be a good husband. In a Jewish culture, you kind of got a year off when you got married. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I got to really attend to my wife. And basically, all of them had excuses to not to say no to the invitation. And sometimes we're stuck because God keeps speaking and God keeps calling and God keeps prodding. And, and we're like, ah, I just I don't have enough time. Oh, I, I don't have enough resource. I don't have enough gifting. I, I can't do this. And so what do we do? We just sit and we do nothing. And then we wonder why we're stuck. One of my close friends, I sat down with him one day when he, he, God was really pushing in on him in a lot of areas of his life. Opportunities were coming up for him to do things, and he really felt this burden. He wanted to be more generous with his time, more generous with his resources. When God said to go, he, his default was yes, and he would just go, but he couldn't, and all these opportunities were coming his way, and I remember sitting down with him one day and watching him just sob over his life. He said, when God moves, I can't respond. He said, one of these because I got too much debt. He said, I can't, I, can't, I can't take off even a week to go on a missions trip because I can't give up that money because I have so much debt. He said, I'm so booked in my schedule that I can't carve any time out to respond to what God's going to do because I'm working so many hours. So I said, well, what are you going to do about it? He goes, I'm going to simplify my life. I said, okay, I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you as you walk through this. And over the next two years, I watched this very successful businessman who was in construction. He, in fact, he had built himself one of the nicest houses in our city. And so I watched him pare back on his work. I watched him sell the most coveted house in our city at the time and then move into a rental so he could save money at the time and then eventually buy a smaller house that was more simple. I watched him make more room in his schedule and see so when he could respond, when God said, you're supposed to do this, he could say yes. That took like two years. And then I watched him go on a missions trip to Guatemala and I watched his world get spun upside down. And I watched a man who couldn't give a dime because he was leveraged be one of the most generous people that I know with his time and his money. And anytime God would say go, he would say yes. Why? Because he was prepared. And he no longer was stuck. And there was a new life to him. He has less and he has never been happier in his life. It's amazing. Why? Because he's ready to go. There's something to be said about simplifying our life to the point where whenever God says do this, we're like, I'm in. Not, can I go back and take care of? No, I'm in. I'm prepared. I'm ready for you to call. And then the final, final thing is this. Traction requires commitment. Interesting last part of this, this chapter. Look at verses 12 through verse 18. So I'll give a backstory after I read this. But So as it goes on, it says this. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, jo this is what Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of God, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land, your wives and your little ones, 
and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over and armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives the rest, uh, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. And the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Verse 16. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded uh, us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and disobeys your word, whatever you command that him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. What's going on there? They had this amazing commitment that you and I have to understand the backstory. So as they're advancing towards the promised land, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh find some land before the crossover happens, and they're like, this is home. This is where we want to be. And they want to kind of set up shop and say, hey, we found our place. You guys keep moving forward. We'll just hang out here. We're fine. And so Moses said, that's okay. But when it comes time to cross the Jordan and take the land, you got to go fight. you got to go make a commitment that you won't just get comfortable since you've arrived, but you will actually go across with your brothers and you will fight for their, their land just as much as you feel comfortable in your land. And what did they say to Joshua? We're in. Whatever you command us to do, just like Moses. The deal Moses made with, with us is good as long as you, what you make a command, we're doing it just like as, as though Moses made it. We are committed to see this through. That's why Israel got into the land. Why? Because they couldn't have done it without those tribes going with them. They made a commitment. And this is, here's the game changer if you want to know, how, how does this thing work? How do I find traction? You and I make a commitment that when Jesus calls us to do something, we say, yes. Why? Because I died a long time ago. That's why when you come to Jesus, Jesus, he says, listen, I'm going to give you life, but you've got to die to get it. Not die to earn it. You have to die to receive it. That's why Jesus' death and resurrection gets life. There's a dying to our old way of living and a rising to a new way of life. And he says, if you want to, what, have life, you have to, what, give life. You have to give it up. So that means if you and I say, I want to have traction, I move forward, then we make a commitment today when God speaks that we say, oh, yes, I'll do it. And then what will happen? You and I will see things happen in our life that we've never seen happen before. Let me close with this. I have a, another good friend. We, we, uh, many of you know, last week I prayed for my daughter, Courtney, and we took her up to Oregon uh, this last week. We got back late last night, so I'm a little tired, so please forgive me if I'm a little punchy. But uh, it was a good trip, emotional. You know, we said our goodbyes and had our cry fest and drove through all the crazies who are up in Oregon looking for the eclipse this tomorrow. It's, it is, you think it's crazy? It's insane in Oregon. I mean, it is bizarre. Everybody's talking about it, so... But anyway, so we, we, were, we were dropping Courtney off about 30, it's about 30 minutes from where we were living for seven years, and she's going to be a part of a church in that area and a, and a part of a Bible college. But so we got to connect with some of our friends. And uh, so we're sitting down one night, and we we're talking just about their journey, and, and one of my friends in particular who I just admire so much. And so just so you know, uh, so many times you tell us, oh, Pastor John, that's somebody who's in ministry. That's a pastor. That's only God uses pastors, which is a total lie. This guy is a construction worker, worked in construction most of his life. He oversees projects, just a faithful follower of Jesus. Different guy than the last guy I told you about. So he was telling me about what's going on in his life. And one of the things I've learned about him is that when God speaks to him, his default is, yes, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do. I made a commitment. My life is not my own. I'll do it. So he was telling me about a year ago, his wife was at a women's retreat. He was home by himself. He was laying in bed just praying, and the Lord said this to him. He said, I want you tomorrow morning when you get up, I want you to go downtown. This is up in Newburgh, Gordon. Downtown, I want you to find people and pray for them and tell them that I love them. 
Now, if God came to you and I, we'd go, oh, I don't know. I think that's the pizza I just had for dinner. I don't think that's really God speaking. I, you know, do you know, you know, my schedule's really full tomorrow, and I don't know if I can do that. And he said, okay, God, when I get up in the morning, that's the first thing I'm going to do. So the next morning, he gets up, and he goes downtown Newburgh. The first person he encounters is a Christian. He's like, so he spends five minutes with the guy. He talks to them and sends him on his way. Two steps down the street, he runs into a homeless guy. He spends the next two hours with him, talking about Jesus, praying for him, taking him to breakfast. He finishes that and feels like, okay, Lord, I, I did what I want you to do. And God says, no, I want you to do this every week. It's like, okay, I'll do it every week. So this is a year ago. He made a commitment. Every Wednesday night, he would go downtown and walk the streets of the city, and whoever he encountered, he would pray for them and tell them Jesus loves them. He said in the year he's doing, only two people said, please get away from me, you, you, you freak. You know, that he said, you're, you'd be surprised how people are receptive to you praying for them and are letting them know that Jesus loves them. So he starts doing this, and right away he sends a message. He texts like five or six of his friends and says, guys, you got to come join me. So they show up. So they start coming every Wednesday night. And, and Newburgh is in Oregon. In Oregon, it rains, and it gets really cold. And so rain or shine, snow or rain, they're there. So they're showing up, and they find one night it's raining, so they go under this awning, which happens to be the awning in front of the largest pub in the city. And they're like, well, this is a good place. Let's pray for people here. So they start praying for people going in and out of the pub. I'm like, great choice, right in front of the pub. And so eventually they thought, you know, we should probably ask the owner, since we're on his property, if this is okay. So they meet the owner, and the owner says, absolutely, you can pray for anybody going in out of my pub. A few more weeks go by, they're doing this, and they thought, you know what, we're actually standing out in front of this guy's pub, and we should probably, like, buy something since we're taking up space. And so they go in, and they start buying, you know, a soda or getting a burger, and so, they're, and so they get to know the bartender. So they're knowing the bartenders, they get to know the owner, they're getting to know the patrons. There are people that go in there every single Wednesday night, and they know that they're going to get prayed for either on the way in or the way out. And then as a result of that, like, there was five or six guys doing like, why are we doing it? Let's invite anyone who wants to come. So now there's a group of at least a dozen people every single week that go out and stand out in front of this pub. Now they set up a, a canopy. This is downtown Newbury, and everybody drives by, and they're, like, laying hands on people and praying for them and telling them that Jesus loves them. They've been doing that for a year, and they never miss a Wednesday night. Why are they doing that? Because the pastor told them to. No. Somebody more important told them to. Jesus told them to. And now there's at least a dozen to 15 people who are having their lives changed because they're seeing people come to know Jesus and seeing people's lives changed because they're willing to pray. And then there's a bunch of people, whether drunk or not, going in and out of a pub, pub that know that Jesus loves them. That's the commitment that God wants for us. And when he's telling me this story, he's alive. He is so excited every Wednesday night, even when it's 30 degrees and you can't feel your fingers. Because I just look forward to every Wednesday night, I get to go pray for people. Why is that? Because he has traction in life. Because he has momentum. He's not stuck. Because when God says go, he says yes. And that is repeated over and over again. And it happens in all of our lives. And God wants us to have traction. What was the outcome for Israel? They finally, after 40 years, got unstuck and got into the land. It may be 40 years for you in your life. I don't know. But today's the day God says, I want you to be unstuck. I want you to move forward. I want to give you traction. Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when Israel stepped into what you had promised them, the land that you had promised to give them, they realized and they experienced 
a reminder again that you are a God who's faithful, that you're a God that never leaves and never forsakes, that you're a God that will give his people what he's promised to give them. You have promised not only the Israelites thousands of years ago, but you have promised us today that through you, Jesus, you have promised to give us life. In fact, you gave your life to purchase our life so that we could live and have life. So I pray today that you would help us wherever we might find ourselves being stuck, being at that doorstep again and feeling like, man, I've seen this before and it's not gonna be this, it's different, it's gonna be the same as before. Lord, would you give us the faith to believe that this time it's gonna be different? I don't know where you're at, but I want, to, I want you just with your eyes closed before we, we conclude. I was praying this morning for what God wanted to do today and just really knowing, even as we experience during worship today, God is present. And that's not just working up emotion. God's tangible presence is here because God is deeply invested in our lives and what, what, is, what we're experiencing. But as I was praying, I, the Lord gave me a, a, a quick picture of this room, our auditorium here. And it was empty except for one seat. And there was a woman that was sitting in that seat and she was sobbing. And as I looked at her, I was standing in the back and I looked at her at the, from the back of her head and she's just sobbing. And the Lord showed me, he said, this, this woman has sat in the seat every week. She's been in the same place every single Sunday. But beyond where she sits on Sunday, she's been stuck in her life for years. And the tears that she's shedding right now is because she feels like she can never, ever get beyond where she's at. And as I was looking at this image, God was saying, today's the day that changes for her. Today's the day that changes for everyone. And I know when God gave me that picture, it may be for a specific woman who's here today, but I am confident that that is for every single person here who feels stuck. God sees you sitting where you're at. He sees you on the sideline. He sees your frustration. He sees your tears. And he says, today's the day that you move forward. And he's given you the tools to move forward, the steps to move out in, the things to do to find traction so that at the end of the day, you're not just tired. You may be tired, but you're exhilarated because you saw God move and your life move forward. So Lord Jesus, we bring ourselves before you today and ask that you would move us forward. In fact, some of you, maybe you the movement you are experiencing today is not just movement in what God's doing, but maybe it's the movement from, I've really never really known who Jesus is in my life to now I'm moving, the momentum I'm feeling is now I'm stepping into the fact that Jesus wants to work in my life and he wants to know me personally. And you've come to understand that Jesus' death on the cross for you, not just for us, for you, means you can be free means you can move forward. That means you can be forgiven, which means God has a life that's greater than the life you've lived. Is that, if that's you, then don't be afraid to step forward and say, God, I want to know Jesus. So Jesus, as we prepare in a moment to, to go, that you would allow us this week to be challenged, to get beyond where we're at, to meditate on your words, to be obedient, to prepare for when you're going to speak, to respond and be committed to God. We want to move forward. But Lord, give us the power of your spirit. Give us the desire. Give us the commitment.